0: It's now, uh, what, our third episode, and he's back again. He's not been scared off by my antics. Welcome back, Yanni. How has your week been, sir? Uh,
1: my week's been pretty good. Uh, mostly just been working, as usual. Um, trying to get a couple of other projects going. Trying to find a time for them is the big thing. Um, we're at this point with work right now where we're starting to kind of gear up going into the holiday season. So trying to get ready for that mentally is kind of interesting because orders are just about to start ramping up. So trying to get ready to get into that groove. But overall, yeah, it's robe weather now. Um, and obviously we're not doing videos with this, but I'm wearing this robe I got last year and i was really excited when i got it because i had like tried one out and they're super comfortable um issue being in south carolina like you don't have very much time to wear a robe like this because very it's like lined with fleece it's very nice um but you just don't have a lot of a lot of time of the year where you could like Sit around and wear this because it just gets so warm so fast. But now I think now I'm up in Connecticut, you know, gonna get a solid, uh, solid like five ish months probably out of being able to wear this. So, yeah, robe sure. weather,
0: yeah, for sure. Like, you're definitely gonna get like some nice, uh, winter coming up too. So, that's always neat. My week has been weird, like. But <laughs> it's just been a weird week. Uh, I applied for jobs at my shift on Tuesday. I was just sitting at the desk applying for other jobs so I can make a little more money for the holidays and things like that. Uh, class has been whatever, you know, those kinds of things. And of course, this week we also decided to go with a
1: really weird album. You know. Yeah, I was gonna ask you about that. Uh, Zach, actually, so, uh, do you like jazz? I do. I love jazz.
0: Okay. And and I love the B movie. So it's like two of my favorite things. But this is this is a weird one because for me, this has a lot of like really fond memories of high school when I was in a combo band and we played like three songs on this album and
1: it's weird to me
0: like just how how well this album's grown like like how well this album has done over the years because to me it's Ivan Davis's best work like Miles Davis is one of the kings of jazz for a reason and to me like this is not not his best stuff so like um Kind of Blue is the album, in case you weren't here last week and you didn't catch that at the end of our episode. But what did you think? Like, when I said, hey, we're going to do Kind of Blue off of a request, what was your initial thoughts with this?
1: Uh, I was pretty excited uh, just because this brought back some memories, of course, apparently. This is just like the Yanni Nostalgia podcast unofficially. (laughs) But we... Um sorry, there's a screaming dog in the background.
0: Uh, it's all good,
1: man. <laughs> um this reminds me a lot of when I was in college playing jazz combos. Um I started getting into jazz a little bit in high school, just trying to join all the different bands I possibly could. And once I got into college, I was still trying to be in every band, but I was at Clemson I was the guitarist for the large jazz band for I think three years and also did jazz combos during that time and we played all different types of stuff in the large band but for the combos we just had a real book and that was what we played from and you know four of the five songs on this album were in the real book and they were all staples that we would play um whenever we got together, like these would be some of the ones we played the most just because they're super familiar to people. Um, And they really are a blank slate for you to improvise on. It's super great. Um, I was really excited to like sit down and listen to these original versions of these songs and dig into the, I guess Listening to it more as it was intended by Miles Davis and his own instrumentation, and great musicians interpreting uh, the chord progressions and putting their own spin on it, and that that was super fun. I really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, this is such a like. Uh, like I guess it's a standard for jazz. Like this is, I think the sixth best-selling jazz album of all time. So like. Kind of insane. Like since 1990 to one, when they kept track of record sales. Uh, This is the sixth uh, highest selling, and it's like still way off the leaderboard. Like it's, I think the first spot's somewhere around like 11.2 million or something crazy like that. But when you think about everything that was super popular at the time, uh, Ray Charles, Elvis Presley, Ella Fitzgerald was super popular, Dave Brubeck with you know, who was a master of writing jazz and weird time signatures and things like that. Even Chuck Berry, who was bringing daylight to a rock and roll and like mixing jazz and rock, like, you know, this brand new thing. Like this was still like, it still sticks out. Um, and part of that I think is the musicians that are on the album. Um, and, and then also the producer, Irving Townsend, who's one of the greatest jazz producers of all time. Um, everything from Miles Davis to Ellington and Billie Holiday, even Dave Brubeck himself. So I'm intrigued, to say the least, to hear your thoughts on everything. But let's go track by track. Let's talk about it. Let's start with uh, So What.
1: Okay. Oh, my! My leading off the conversation Absolutely. Here? Okay, so I think kind of to go into it, uh, one of the cool things about this album was it really, for me, it signifies this transition in jazz music a little bit. It was just like a change in what was kind of the popular thing to be doing. Obviously, Miles Davis, one of the largest jazz musicians of all time, Um, super prolific artist and prior to this album a lot of his pieces that he put out were more kind of in the bebop style you know you're playing lots of chord changes your melodies are very much fitting within those chords and um, there's a lot of other musicians that kind of fall into this people like charlie parker dizzy gillespie a lot of other musicians were kind of in this bebop trend and around the time that miles davis was starting to work on um milestones which was an album put out before this um he started to get the idea of become more acquainted with the idea of like modal jazz which is this idea instead of uh within a chord for like your melody and solo and things like that, you'd be following a certain mode of a song, which if you're familiar with music theory, um, modes, there are different modes based on like being relative to a scale. So for example, you have your normal C major scale. And if you just played starting from a C play the scale to the next C following the major scale progression, you'd be playing in the Ionian mode. If you decide to start on the second note, the D, play the same intervals as a C major scale, but went from D to D, you'd have a Dorian mode, which is almost the same as minor. It's very close, but it has a different feel to it when you're listening to it be played. And a lot of the songs on this album are focusing more on playing within the mode instead of playing along with the chords. And that was a pretty significant shift in the way that um, people were like thinking about jazz music. So going into that, you have a kind of new style of music. Miles had kind of started to go into it a little bit with Milestones. But a lot of the album was still in that bebop style. And this album was very much recorded with that modal jazz in mind. And this whole album was recorded over the course of two days. They did the A side on one day, the B side on a second day, like a month later. They just took the artist in a room. He gave them like pretty sparse notes going into it. And then uh, they just sat down and were able to like make this music happen um so what for me is like the most sentimental piece i guess um this was the one that we would all always 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 play um whenever we did a combo gig it was also one of my favorites because it's only like four chords in the whole song so easy to easy to learn once you know it you just kind of have it um and It definitely was different. Like thinking about playing it from a real book was what we had playing. And then listening to it now, you had this like nice small introduction piece and instrumental. And it definitely feels a lot different. If you went from listening to a lot of bebop music to going into this, you would feel like, oh, this is different just from the start. You know, you're listening to something different. And It definitely has that feel where it's like you think you're kind of in this D minor esh thing because you're going from like the E minor seven to the D minor seven. There's like the two main chords throughout the beginning of the song, but it's written in the C major, like the key signature is C major. But you're playing within that mode, that Dorian mode, which is giving it that kind of interesting feel. And I love the bass intro just the way that the bass kind of carries a melody yeah. um i'm a huge bass fan so definitely love that um overall i think it's a really good introduction to the style and this album
0: yeah and for me this is also one that we always played like our combo this is like our usually our opening uh what we would do and then um for me i just remember the first day, our band director let us borrow the upright base to take to Sam Ash with us, and he was pissed because, like, you know, we didn't tell him who was transferring it, so, like, we put it in the back seat of two-door coup, and it didn't get damaged, but when he found out that's what happened, he was not happy, to say the least. Um <laughs> but also like for me the, the the thing that really gets me is like how long this intro is the intro of this song's damn near a minute long and it's all piano and it's really just to set a mood and when we played it we always just introduced on bass but I actually like the piano intro a lot more I think that it's really good at like kind of setting up what the entire album is going to be about. And then also the solo sections in each of these songs is completely different. And like you get different artists on each of these uh, soloing, but they all have a different feel, even though the album as a whole feels very similar. Like each song has like its own every song has a very similar structure but each solo section feels different so i really like so what and i think you know one of the things that's interesting is like miles davis wrote all this stuff by himself (laughs) um you know with a few changes from bill evans who's uh piano except for one song on here and You can kind of tell, like, it's a very Miles Davis, especially at this time. It's very much his style, like. But then you get to the solo sections and you get to hear John Coltrane or uh, Adderley or even, like, Gwen Kelly, Billy Evans, all those guys. Like, their soloing is, like, what actually like makes the pieces so much better. Uh, but yeah, so what for me is like was always our hey, this is this is who we are. We are the Pendleton Heights jazz combo. Uh, at the time we were called the Wombo combo because that video is making its rounds for the first time. So if you remember the uh, beautiful Smash Smash Bros. video that was uh, coming out of that.
1: The uh I th- I think the song. Is one of just so accurately named, just thinking about it. It just sounds like you're saying, So what? This is how it goes. It's, it's very like
0: every, like as a kid when I first heard it, I was like, Damn, it sounds a lot like the piano intros on Mr. Rogers. Like, <laughs> um, and like the first time I heard this was like, I was probably eight years old. My, my art teacher was obsessed with jazz music so whenever we would do art in this class you would like just put on random albums and like we always had like about an hour for our, like special education courses which is music pe uh library was one of them and this was you know my favorite one because my art teacher was also the chess club teacher but also uh just like this huge lover of jazz he actually like left teaching and became a lawyer so like he, like, wasted his first, like, 12 years of his career because he had a law degree, but he was an art teacher. And he just, like, <laughs> left and became a lawyer. So, but I distinctly remember, that, like, hearing this for the first time. I was just, like, it's so, so chill compared to, like, modern music.
1: Yeah. And speaking also to, to the impact this album has, thinking about the intro, sort of that interlude, it acts as not only setting the mood for what you're about to listen to, but also kind of like a palate cleanser in a sense where it's like, no matter what, you could be listening to like Megadeth or something right before you listen to this, but that, little, that piano interlude is gonna give you enough time to become acclimated to like, I'm about to listen to Miles Davis. And it reminds me a lot of for future impact thinking about um like return to forever their big hit spain Um uh, you know the like bits of the melody like the very like famous part like the whole theme but when you're listening to it there's that intro part that is very much kind of like a little introductory interlude that also kind of sets the scene for that too and builds up and it's also, I forget the exact length of it, but it's got that same quality of being like a way to introduce you to what's about to come. And I think that the intro to So What does a really excellent job of that.
0: And I think another big thing with this is like the rhythm. And like, this is true for a lot of Miles Davis stuff. Like, it's a lot of like, dotted quarter notes or dotted quarter notes and then eighth note but there's always like a good amount of space in between them you know he's very like very meticulous to how he writes his stuff and this is one of the common things is like he uses a lot of dotted quarter notes and he uses them really effectively and he makes sure that there's you know clear articulation of space in between whatever it is and I think that that's, like, really key in this song. It's, like, I think this is supposed to be more of an upbeat, like, kind of up-tempo-sounding song overall compared to the rest of the album based on the amount of space in between notes and then how it feels pushed. Like, it's constantly moving forward. You get that with the drums. You get that with... um, the baseline and how it's constantly just pushing and moving forward. And then you get to the solo section. And again, this is where you like, really get to see what, you know, what you're about to experience on the rest of the album. Let's move on to the next one, Freddie Freeloader. And again, I've already voiced my opinion. I think that the first and second track are basically the same song one is just slowed down and it's because they follow a similar code structure. And it's because they follow such as like similar like feel, but this, like this doesn't feel rushed. Like, Like, so what? Like it's a perfect melding of like, oh, this is wrapping up the previous song but it's introducing a new idea.
1: Yes, yeah, so my um, I never really made the connection as much between Freddie Freeloader and so what? Um, there's a, there is a song that I kind of put Freddie Freeloader closer to on this album. but for me, just the way that um, to me it's just more of a, like the, I guess literal structure of the songs. Because um, so what, of course, you're doing the typical like A-A-B-A structure where you've got the um, 16 bars of the um, D minor to E minor, and then you have eight bars where it shifts up, and then you go another eight bars where you're back. Uh, Freddie Freelitter, of course, is just a kind of 12-bar blues, very standard uh, chord progression, it's like you just play a twelve-bar blues. Like if um, we ever had just a random jam session, and weren't like playing out of a book, like that would just be a go-to. Like, okay, we're going to play twelve-bar twelve-bar blues. Pick a key, go nuts with it. And I think that's definitely something that can affect the impact of this song, where you have a very common chord pro- like chord progression and a minimal um, lead part. And so it just seems a little bit generic. Um, and that's a, not necessarily always a bad thing. Uh, obviously just the talent that you have on this album it's going to result in once you get past the lead you've got all these great uh soloists that are going to be able to take the stage and do what they want with their interpretation of the um interpretation of like the chords and the chord changes um yeah, and it's just like looking at the roster that was on this album. Of course you had Miles Davis. Um, Cannonball Adderley, one of the like greatest jazz saxophonists of all time, John Coltrane, another of the best saxophonists. Uh Bill Evans, excellent keyboard player, had his own trio. Um, Paul Chambers, like the bass on this album is incredible, and he is just solid just whenever you're playing you just want to have a solid basis all the time like bass and drums are so important when you're playing in a small group like a you know trio quintet sextet anything like that you want to have that foundation you know something I always looked for when playing combos like I would like find my favorite drummer and bassist and always want to play with them or if I was playing bass I would like meet the drummer and like Say okay, we have to hang out. Like we need to know each other, right. so we can actually like have that connection. And that was something I always like doing. Um, but yeah, like having that strong rhythmic foundation is so important, and you get that with this track still, even though it's got that very minimalist lead, kind of reminiscent of so what you still get um, that the quality. And there is a little bit of variation, like within, when it tur- like in the, um, I think it's like the ninth to the 10th bar, like the last four bars of the progression, you have a little bit of Miles' flair on the typical 12 bar progression. And that I think is what sets it out. Like if you're just listening to um, the first eight bars you'll be like oh this is just like a normal 12 bar blues this is anything special those last four bars is a progression i think is where you get that like okay i can kind of see where it's cool and that is i think what keeps it relevant as a piece
0: i think there's another like thing we're totally missing with this that is like how good jimmy cobb was on drums like it's very minimal. It's very just like light with the sticks or brushes, depending on the song. And of course, he he just he died this past year, uh, May twenty fourth, twenty twenty. So like he was still performing, you know, with stage four lung cancer up until his death, uh, or basically up until COVID. Took out his uh, like touring like ensemble he had. So he, and he is famous for just like, oh yeah, you need a guy? I can be your guy. He was with Nat Adderley. He was with Cannibal Adderley on their solo stuff. He was with John Coltrane on his solo stuff. Obviously here with the Miles Davis Six. Like he was with Ricky Ford, Wynton Kelly, Wes Montgomery. Like all the famous like old timey jazz you know, phenomenons. He was there, like, being the drummer. Phil in and wouldn't need to just, like, being the guy. And on this, he never, like, gets to do anything spectacular. But he does his job, and he does it very well. Um I believe he's got, like, multiple awards. I know he won the Don Redmond Award in 2008 or 2009. I know he won an NEA award in, like, 2009 or 2010, like, just so talented as a musician and just so, like, so important on this album. Like, the drums are so undervalued, I think, overall in all these songs because he doesn't do anything crazy, but he pushes everything along. He mi- mixes very well with Paul Chambers on bass. They're just, like it makes
1: the whole album in my opinion. Yeah. Also, I would love to do another shout out to Paul Chambers. Um, In researching this, I found out we have the same birthday. Oh, there you go. But just like he did so much work in just a short amount of time that he was active because he died in 1969. He was only 33. So I would be interested just, you know, talking about Jimmy Cobb and how much how influential he was and how much of a staple he was through the years. I would like, I'd be very interested in seeing what uh, Paul Chambers would have been able to do if he had had like that long of a career because listening to this, like he definitely has the, the qualities that you want in like a jazz basis. Like he can, keep progressions going he can his solos are like interesting and unique he has just the perfect technique listening to him play like look at the intro to so what he's got that very um he can play melodically and have the like just the right amount of you know like a little bit of a staccato here if you need it but it's very fluid um overall just like that perfect tone I'm very jealous of like a good bass tone and Chambers had it. Yeah.
0: I, I can't stress this enough. Like it really sucks. I think he died of tuberculosis or like, I don't remember exactly what it was at the age of 33. Like that is so young and just like, it, it it would be amazing to like really see what would have happened if he was able to continue, continue on. Um, another big thing like I've really noticed like listening to this album like truly just like spinning it and spinning it that shocked me was that the next song that we should talk about Blue and Green is the most popular song on the album and to me it, it shocks me because it features a lot of work with mutes which is something a lot of people you know don't take too fondly of you know don't think too fondly of so i think the whole opening is all played on a trumpet with a mute by miles davis and so like it creates a whole different vibe than everything else that's been going on in the album to this point
1: yeah it's definitely um it surprised me looking at how much the song was played relative to the other songs on this album. Um, I, know it was a, I know it's a super popular song. It's definitely, obviously, one of the standards in jazz. Like looking, like I said earlier, four out of the five songs on this album are in the real book, which is like the go-to if you just need a book. Of like 300 songs to play, uh, with your like combo or, or band for
0: $20, like are like 20 or 30 bucks. Like, and it's like one pagers, or, or you can download the PDF if you really want to spend that much time printing it and binding it yourself. You can get it online, a free PDF of it, but yeah, it that's what Miles Davis was, man, just like nothing but jazz standards you know <laughs>
1: yeah the all i always thought was funny just like with the real book uh, i have a couple of real book stories but um i guess the key one was if you're not if people aren't familiar if you're listening not familiar with the history of the real book um the first real book was um depending on like whose origin story you believe they started out in berkeley um, college of the music college and started like among groups that were going out and playing just as a way to have a repertoire of songs ready. Um there's kind of a play on the name fake book, which is what um, those things are typically called. It was just like a lead sheet basically of different songs and you had a large compilation of them. Uh, but the real book when it came out was this, this, big deal because it was just like this underground thing that people will just like get copies of and it'd be like this mythical thing if you had a robot, kind of or like people would have them but nobody knew where they really came from like it'd be hard to if you wanted to like go buy one you had to know the right person to try to get one and I remember for a fraternity function we went to the house of the like band director, at Clemson, like one of the the like main person in charge of the college bands. And in his living room he had a piano. And on his piano he had one of the like original real books. Um obviously now the real books you can go buy in a store. Um those are all licensed. The original versions were just not licensed for anything. Um, but hal Leonard eventually um uh, bought like bought the rights licensed all the music So the artists are now getting paid, which is a good thing. Um, All about musicians getting paid. But it was just interesting seeing, like, one of the original real books, which is pretty similar, but it just doesn't have the copyright information on it for the most part. And I thought that was super cool just to be like, oh, you have one of these. Like, that was just, like, very interesting to me. I was like, ooh. (laughs) But, yeah, this is, like, definitely... Blue and green is iconic, um, not my favorite, but that's just a personal thing. It's very much a standard. I would never deny that, just like beautiful composition. Um, and for me, I think the big
0: thing is like, you get again, another like, slowed down very like coffee shop blues sound to it featuring you know everybody um and the piano on this is phenomenal like the piano work piano work on the whole album is great but the piano work on this song in particular during the solo section um before miles davis comes back in with the harmon mute and everything is like Insane stuff. But the next song is actually my favorite song on the album. And it's because it's one I've played many a times. um, And I've soloed on many a times. And it's just one I've always enjoyed because of the groove that you get into when you play it. That is all blues. And I'm sure you've probably played this Many a times yourself, I had to guess. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and again, it's just one of those like classic, you know, it's like a 6 8 feel, really like abrupt rhythmic beginning. You know, you have the background on piano where the horns come in, the the horn line is so like abrupt and staccatoed compared to the previous two songs, which felt very legato and together. To me, this was like always one of my favorites to play because again, we, play, we always play it key of G and it was super easy to solo over because G blues is one of the like easiest to go over. Um, and again, we have a harmon mute at the beginning It's just, for me, this was was the best song on the album. Um, Just, again, it's 11 and a half minutes on Spotify, and I think there's live recordings that would be like 30 to 45 minutes. We're like, this is like the break song where musicians will go get water, go get alcohol, whatever it is, um, or they need a smoke or other things we're not going to talk about because, you know, uh, some people had other addictions at the time. Um, this was the song people would play, and they would like, oh, yeah, I'll go get water, or I'll go grab food, or I'll go grab alcohol, whatever it might be. And of course, the poor drummer and bass player just got to stand there and be the guys on it the whole time.
1: <laughs> yeah, like this is, a, this is one I would play sometimes when I had to do... Um, like gigs, so like I said, I was in the jazz combos uh, at Clemson, and one of the nice things about the jazz combos was occasionally we would get um, hired to do like gigs at like local restaurants and stuff like that. So we had this one gig at an Italian restaurant that had opened up. It was a super nice, super nice restaurant. Uh, very like little bit. Fancier than you might expect to have in like a place called Central South Carolina, but it was like the food was really good, uh, the atmosphere was nice, and uh, the little combo we had was great. It was me, uh, a drummer, and another guitarist, we're like kind of the core group that was going there week after week, and you know, we were just playing there for like two hours on a Friday night. We'd get, like, a couple bucks and a plate of food, and it was chill. Like, you didn't have to buy food on a Friday night. Um, We'd get tips. It was fun. Um, We were doing that for probably, like, a month, and then one day we went, and the, like, owner of the restaurant, who was super chill and always up front with us, was like, hey, um, we had a little mess-up thing. I'm not going to be able to, like, give you guys cash tonight um this is like as we were setting up for the night because he actually built a stage for us out front because he was like we're doing all this fancy stuff for the restaurant we're going to have a stage to do like little concerts it was, it was really cool but we were setting up he comes out and says hey i'm not going to be able to like pay you guys tonight so you know don't worry about playing we'll just come back next week and we had already like set up our amps so we decided we're just going to play like one song real quick and then head out after we were done so we jammed for a bit and uh there was a one table sitting outside and they really liked what we were playing like they were clapping along and stuff and then we were starting to go um so then after that like we were getting ready to set up um one of the other people in the combo went over and was talking to that table and then he comes back and he said hey they're gonna they're just gonna like tip us to keep playing so we're like, okay, cool. So we played until they left until they left. We just got like, you know, like 20, 30 bucks from them. And think, okay, cool. So we packed up. Uh, the next Friday I go to get ready to set up and the other guys aren't there. And the owner comes out and talks to me. And it's like, so that table that was outside while you're playing, um, they gave me an earful after as they were leaving. Because the one of the other guys, whoever went up there, was basically making it sound like he wasn't paying, he wasn't gonna pay us at all and like wanted us to still play. So he's like, yeah, like I'm not gonna stand for my reputation getting smeared. So those guys aren't allowed back, but you can keep coming if you want. So then I went from being like part of this combo to now just having the solo thing. So the whole idea of like, you know, 30, 40 minute things was very much me as i was trying to like sit there with a loop pedal trying to just like find songs i liked and just sit there and improv over it as long as i could because i'm like i don't have like two hours worth of like solo material ready but i was just providing background music (laughs) so like all blues was one of the ones i would play because like you know easy 12 bar blues easy stuff to do like that would be kind of the the vibe I would go for. It's just very much like, how long can I drag this out before I start playing the same thing over and over again? Like, okay, and then I go to the next one. So <laughs> definitely understand that feeling of like the bassist and drummer sitting there and just be like, uh, can, we, can we do something else now?
0: Yeah, and again, like, there's so many reasons why this one's my favorite, but it's like, the abrupt state change in style in the middle of it with like the shout section, you know, where they take the harmon mute out and it's totally different sound. And, oh man, I just, I have so many like memories with this. You know, first time competing at in, uh, the Indiana School Music Association Um, I soloed over this, we actually, we all did. We had a trombone player with us and our drummer was in a metal band and he kept adding like double bass pedal in it. And that was one of the comments on the thing was like, they liked how he made it more modern. (laughs) It's like, he'd like occasionally add a little double bass, like lead into the next bar, um. Yeah, it, it was strange. Like it was a it was such a weird time being in those combos, um, and like listening to this now uh, makes me like respect it more and more because like I remember there was like a performance we were at. I think we were performing at Sam Ash, and like we only had three songs prepared. We were supposed to do a thirty minute set, and our first our opener was Chameleon that night, and we got through Chameleon like a three and a half minutes or whatever because our guitarist wasn't there and so we went into all blues and I'm pretty sure we played all blues for 20 minutes and then we closed the night actually so what that night and like we played all blues and went immediately into so what but we went played 20 minutes there was a point where during the solo sections, the other two horn players would like go off stage and sit in the crowd and applaud and stuff like that. while Whoever was soloing. And, you know, those Sam Ash gigs were a lot of fun, you know, 30 minutes for a $25 gift card. It's hard to beat. So, Um, the last one on this, I think is the most forgettable song on this album. That really sucks. But like, The last one was Flamenco Sketches. And I honestly it, for, forgot it existed until I, like, re-listened to the album after <laughs> so many years.
1: Okay, before, wait, one quick thing before going to Flamenco Sketches. I'm still trying to wrap my head around the fact that you were only able to get three minutes out of Chameleon. Yeah, our guitarist like, is
0: out and he usually had like a major part of like the solo section that we would, that we had to cut out. And so like our usual band wasn't really an actual combo. It was more like a small big band. We had like okay. Barry and Alto, keyboards, keyboards and auxiliary percussion, like did a hybrid thing. And we had a drummer, bass guitar, um trumpet and trumpet. So like we were like nine or 10 members and I think we were missing like six members for that one. So our like rendition of it wasn't as like clean. Um, and so we were like, let's get off it. Let's move to something. We know we can like rock out on, or just like do really well with. Um, yeah. It was really, it was an odd night. Like a guy afterwards is like, you're really good. Give me your contact info. I want you to play this funeral.
1: Oh geez. You know, it's just like
0: Indianapolis, man, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh jazz and blues lovers here, and that was uh what a what a what a night, man. Gotta say.
1: Okay, so did you play at the funeral? And if you did, did you play so what?
0: <laughs> we did not. Uh oh, okay. We like gave the student our contact info and then he contacted us and he was like yeah so like here's the deal you know there's a lot of you we won't be able to like fit you all in one area so you'd have to like make it work and like there's just no way we're gonna fit 10 people into this tiny ass space that they mm. Um. so like you know Super funny, to say the least. Just, like, that night was just so weird. Like, overall, um, there was, like, the, the guy who normally opened up open mic night at Sam Ash. Uh, he didn't show up, and so we were the opening act. And then the guy who normally closed also didn't show up. And so we got to go, like, back up there and do, like, an encore type thing. So, like, we opened, there was, like, two other people, that we went back up there. It was very strange, just, like, uh, but, uh, yeah, I knew those guys at the castle in CM Ash. Uh, for a while, we performed, like, every couple of weeks, so. And it all started with a real book, and mm. just, like, a love for jazz, because, um, like, we were all in the same... <laughs> We were all in the same like jazz ensemble at high school, so we were like, "What if we just started a combo?" That wasn't really a combo, obviously. So just like, yeah, I don't, I, you know, I miss those days when everybody didn't have any worries at all. We could just go like play combo jazz performances at Sam Ash for twenty five dollars.
1: Mm, yeah, and oh, gosh. I have cuz I've owned an embarrassing amount of real books. Uh, keep losing them. Life. Um, so, the first one I had, and I got it when I was started taking guitar lessons um, in high school because yeah. the person who taught me was like, of, he reminded me slightly if you are familiar with Dodgeball. He was like the Patches O'Houlihan of, of guitar teachers um he would talk about um going to berkeley and getting in shouting matches with frank zappa um awesome (laughs) he was super chill but yeah he's like just get this book and we'll like play stuff out of it um it was like learn that way that so that first row book got shredded at some point i forget exactly how it got shredded and the second one i got got water damaged in my car and just got completely soaked. Um, the next one I got got stolen at a gig. Like, it just disappeared. Then I was like, okay, I'm going to buy one of the small ones because they make a mini version. Right. Now, I'm like, that one will be easier to keep a hold of. That no. one drenched in water. So now I'm on my fifth one, which I still have right now. <laughs> and I'm hoping I do not need to buy a sixth. I just,
0: man, I never owned one other than the one I fully downloaded. I don't know if that counts or not, but yeah. Um, the, again, what a, what a useful tool for anybody who's like an aspiring musician. Like, just go buy a real book and go download one and print it, like, if you just show up to a gig with a real book and a couple of friends, you can impress the shit out of anybody because it's none of the stuff's that hard. You can basically go in and sight read it all. And then you're like doing pretty good now. I mean, there's some stuff I wouldn't go in and try to sight read because it can be difficult, but you know, most of the stuff is like, pretty easy. And a lot of it is uh, is open interpretation stuff. So like, you know, for example, the all blues page is like, here's the chord structure. Here's the basic rhythm. Go for it. You know, and like, um, you look at like, the beautiful love page. And again, just like, here's the chords. Here's generally how the how you would hear the uh, main rhythms and main melodies of the song and figure out the rest, you know. So for me it was it's a lot of like um just not only jazz standards but also just like again classics that if you can play them people are gonna be overly impressed by anyway. So it's worth the 25, 30, 40 dollars, whatever it would cost for you to get one. Let's talk about the last song on this album. Cool. It's it's tough. This is, again, the song I forgot about. I swear to God, I did not remember it existing. And listening to it, again, I don't know why. It's actually one of the more, like, it's one of the least repeated, like, repetitive songs on this album it doesn't feel like any of the others you know what I'm saying like this feels different than everything else and Mm -hmm. so I'm shocked I don't remember it because of that
1: yeah to me I feel like Flamengo Sketches is just like Miles looking at all these musicians he has and just being like okay go ahead and do your thing like, here we have are 10 minutes
0: left on our tape.
1: Yeah, it's so. like you have like these very, very basic core structures, but it's like, yeah, you don't have a lot to say, you don't like aren't stuck doing something. Um, just play until you don't want to play anymore, and then we'll let someone <laughs> else take a turn. <laughs> um,
0: tap somebody else like, on the back and tell them to go, you know.
1: Yeah, that's like how we always used to do solos and stuff like in Clemson for like Jazz Band. Like there was a, um, in like the big Jazz Band, there was a saxophonist um, who was like a grad student, but he was like also, I think he played like professionally, if not like semi professionally or something. Uh, Very, very good, but he had a solo on like every song whenever we played. And he would, he would just get to play like basically as long as he wanted because it was like, he could play in a style that like fit anything. It was super awesome to be able to play with a musician like that. Um, And if you ever felt like looking up any videos of Clemson's marching band, um, I believe it was 2013 or 2014, we did a show that was based on the Dave Matthews band and he played, like, saxophone solos for that. For the marching band, which was awesome. hilarious. Um, but, yeah, like, it definitely, this song definitely just feels like you get to do what you want, like, just the people on this album, like I said, like, you know, a lot of them had their own groups. Um, like, they went on to form their own groups after this. Um, all that talent in one room together you're going to get incredible solos and flamenco sketches I think really plays to that
0: and again I'm not dogging on the album I think I think that this is one of those where it's just like there's so much emotion in the entire thing that it's like Kind of crazy honestly. We have wasted almost an hour talking about these songs.
1: I think that's fitting though. Like
0: oh yeah. 100 percent the album's 47 minutes long, and we've talked about our experiences with all of them. Let's move into some awards, huh? Like uh this is always the the, the part of the show that my mom's like, I don't agree with you on this. Um, or like my dad'll be like, Huh, yeah, you were kind of right on some of that. So I oh man, I sit here and I like wonder. Yeah, you know, what other what other things can we do? Because obviously there's not like a best lyric, right? It was one of the things I always thought we should add, right? Best best lyrics, worst lyrics, right? Well we're adding uh, you know, for me, I think this is such like a such a different style because it's not lyrics. You know, it's solos or like best vibe, worst vibe doesn't really work. So mm-hmm. let's let's just go through. What do you think is the most overplayed or overappreciated song of this album, or is there one?
1: So um actually well, as I'm looking through the Spotify stats, obviously Spotify stats aren't like the golden standard, the gold standard of like music well, what plays. we have
0: access to, I think yeah. it's pretty good metric, you know.
1: But interestingly, there is a like I guess I don't know, it makes sense to me. There's an inverse relationship between the length of songs on this album and their plays. Like from shortest to longest is also highest amount of plays to least amount of plays. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Like,
0: people, people get so bored with music nowadays. I shit you not, there have been times where I've been in the car with a girlfriend, or at this point an ex-girlfriend, where like, they'll be like two minutes into a song, and then they'll skip the rest the song. please stop. What the hell is wrong with you? And like, I understand, you know, maybe you get bored with it, or like whatever, there's several things you can do. Warn somebody before you do it. Two, tough it up, you know, tough it out. Most songs, like most modern songs, like three and a half minutes, four minutes long. If you're skipping two minutes in, what is wrong with you? You know what I'm saying?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I, I get that. People, people want to like get through the, get through owls, get through their songs, whatever. I got a funny story about this. My sisters and I were were driving somewhere, three or four hours in the car, and I was in charge of the Ox for this trip. And they started commenting as we're like, listening to Bad Flower and like OAR and Muse, and like a bunch of these alt groups. They started commenting that all the songs are overlapping and they don't like it. And it's because I have a twelve-second fade on on my Spotify. I always do. It's just like habitually creates these like really interesting moments of music. And my sister looks me dead in the eye, and she goes, "What the hell are you doing? Speed running your Spotify playlist?" And I <laughs> laughed so hard, like I about died. We were we were <laughs> like, it's so funny because like. I feel like I'm one of those people who just like I want to get the song over with, but also like, I want to hear the full thing. (laughs) And with this album, you can't really do that.
1: Yeah. And I think it's like, that's just I think a product of the amount of talent you're dealing with. Just like you, if you're like a huge jazz fan, you want to listen to all these artists take a solo But at the same time, yeah, that adds a bunch of time. And I'd be interested in seeing, like, if all these songs are the same length as Blue and Green, if they were, like, five or six minutes, um, and the solos were kind of, like, a little bit more selective on, like, who was soloing on certain tracks, seeing how that would affect the play numbers um, would be kind of cool. But I will say... um, yeah, just based on the stats, I would definitely say blue and green. It's like the kind of over, overplayed, for me. Um, I, I just it just doesn't really resonate with me as much as some of the other songs on the album. Um, and it's it's just a weird spot because it's like you know, it's like you know that it's one of the jazz standards out there, but it just doesn't. Yeah, it just does not resonate with me on the same level as uh, something like So What or All Blues.
0: Yeah, I. (sighs) I'm gonna go, I'm gonna agree with you. I think, and it's so hard to pick like an overplayed and underplayed when you're talking about like songs like this, because I think that like, Oftentimes, I think a lot of these plays are coming from playlists where, like, oh, Jazz for Rainy Day, here's Blue and Green, or, like, here's Elevator Music, here's Freddie freeloader but, like, you know, whatever. And so I think a lot of people hesitate adding long songs to their playlists because they don't want to get bored or they don't want to, like, they don't ever want it to come up where they don't want to listen to it because that sucks, right? So I can understand that aspect, but I'm going to agree with you. I think Blue and Green is easily the most over played. And again, it's still a good piece. It's still a great piece of music. But compared to the rest of this, there's not as much emotion. I don't get the drive of a feel like I do with some of the other stuff. Sorry about the most underplayed. And I think I think there's only two options. I think it's either all blues or flamenco sketches. I'm gonna pick flamenco sketches mostly because I forgot it existed. <laughs> like, I like listened to this album and I was like expecting it to end after four songs. And I forgot that there was another song afterwards. So that's my vote. I think all blues is a fine answer, but I love flamenco sketches with this one.
1: Yeah, I definitely think uh this one, uh I agree. I'm picking flamenco sketches. Um, but this is kind of going to what you were saying about um like play numbers possibly being deceiving based on playlists and stuff. This is just coming from personal experience being in jazz combos and stuff like all blues is one that gets played. Like if you're going to we used to do like coffee shop um like nights where we just like go to a coffee shop and it would be like a 4-hour block where like different parts of the combos would rotate and you it was guaranteed that you'll play all blues at least once during the night. Um, regardless um, just the fact that like flamenco sketches is not doesn't have that same level of prominence as the other four songs um, the fact that it's just like div- is definitely different because um, it doesn't have the same like easily parsed structure as the other songs It's very much just like here's the grounds for all of you to solo and do all the things that you wanted to might have wanted to do on other tracks but didn't have the space like here this is for you um, but I will also say that compared to um, last week, where you had your album ending with "Endless Nameless," uh, this is a much better way to end an album. Absolutely, um, absolutely, much, much preferable, much preferred to that. So yeah, that's that's my pick.
0: I I agree. I such a better ending. I oh man. let's get into this. Or hour hour 15 in, whatever it is. If you had to grade the album, what grade are you giving it and why?
1: This is very, very tough for me. Um, Just based on the overall impact of the album, it would be it's very tempting to give it like a super high grade just because it influenced so much that comes after it. It was like very monumental. just the landscape of jazz changing, going from, you know, the bebop style, like more like the hard bop into this more modal feeling. And I think it's kind of like the idea of modal jazz hit was floating around before this album came out. But when Miles Davis does something that means a lot more than a, like someone who's kind of thinking at it from like a theoretical level, like maybe this would be interesting. Um, like someone else kind of thinking about it. So like Miles Davis putting it on a record and putting it out there. Um, I don't want to judge it solely on, like, the impact, though. I want to, like, look at the songs, um, look at the album from, like, a more separate, like, a perspective separate from the cultural impact and just looking at the way that the songs play. And I am at, I'm going to give it an A-, um, I think that the thing with this album that I think would keep it from getting like a higher grade. And I think based on just like impact and like significance to cultural culture and like jazz music as a whole, I think like on that aspect, it's like an A plus. But the thing with jazz is that a lot of it's going to come down to just like interpretations and like other people's, um, like interpolations of songs and how they're going to modify what came before them and iterate on it. And while this is like the initial recordings of a lot of these songs, there are going to be other recordings that follow these that are going to have, that might be better, um, just like subjectively, depending on what you're looking for in that recording. I think this album is like a very solid blueprint for great things to come after it, so that's kind of where I would put it. So yeah, I'm at an A minus on it. I give
0: this some thought. I'm gonna stick to my grade, and there's a couple reasons I give. I give this a B minus to a B again. I felt repetitive. When I first, you know, when I gave it, it's listened through this past time. And maybe like the more I listened to it, the more repetitive it sounds because like I'm getting bored with it or whatever, but it felt repetitive. Um, rhythms, tones, chords, like it just felt, especially the first two, you know, songs on this had the same exact chord structure, very similar. very similar, like, sound to them. And my other big gripe is that they didn't feature the talent enough. Like, to me, like, you were talking about a once in a generational talent, like, worth of players. Like, this would be, like, taking the best lead singer out there, the best guitarist, the best bass player, the best drummer, throwing them in a rock band and sending them out on the road. But they just didn't do enough to like highlight how awesome everybody is individually when they put it all together. And I know that can be difficult in a group setting, especially when you're talking about ego or like, who, how, who people are and things like that you know but that's part of the reason why I love jazz is like oftentimes everybody throws that away everybody throws their ego out the window when they go and join these groups and to me it just feels like they didn't they didn't do enough like <laughs> yeah you don't hear. Jimmy Cobb, like, do anything extra on drums. Maybe it was by design, maybe it wasn't. You don't hear, you know, Campbell Adderley, like, really get to go off like you would want him to. You don't hear John Coltrane go off like you want him to. You hear Miles Davis do it occasionally, but I don't think you showcased enough of the individual talent here. And that is why I'm giving this... B minus to a B, probably on the higher side of that, so it would be like 84% of 100. Hey, 84 percent of bad grade. It is not. B's get degrees. Um, so, you know, sometimes C's get degrees, depending you know on what school you go to. But <laughs> B's definitely get degrees. Now, you have not told me what we're planning on doing next week. And the moment has come to wrap this all up. Tie it in a bow and ship it off. What is next week's album?
1: Okay, so I want to pick something. It's gonna be a. It's gonna be a little bit different, I think, than what we've been doing. Um, they always say not to judge a book by its cover, as the cliche goes. But I'm gonna pick one. An album to review based solely on the album art it's one of my favorite album arts just like great album cover and that is going to be point of no return by kansas
0: excellent choice i have an immense amount of stories for this album
1: i'm excited i'm excited for a zach story time i feel like there's been a yes. lot of Yankee stories uh, this
0: this is uh, uh this is probably like if i could actually access the records of what i've checked out from the library probably <clears throat> the first album i ever checked out from the library mm-hmm. also the first album i ever paid a fine on for the library <laughs> and like when i say a fine so my library was uh 10 cents on bucks per day and 25 cents on CDs and movies. I'm pretty sure at one point I paid $14 in fines borrowing the CD, which is essentially just like go buy the CD jackets.
1: Yeah, basically at that point, let's just let like you keep it like, okay.
0: But uh, they also had this like canned food drive where you, you brought in a can every december and like you could just pay your fines with those like bring in a can take a dollar off your fines that's good so as a kid i would just like raid my parents cupboard
1: there you go
0: go to the library and turn them in um but yeah i've got a lot of stories about this thanks for listening uh those of you out here still with us go follow our twitter I think if we had a hundred followers by the end of the year, we're going to do some pretty insane giveaways uh, because I have a box of 600 CDs sitting at my house that I do not rotate through. That is excluding the 200 I have separated that I do rotate through. So I'm thinking we might do some giveaways with uh, some albums we might review later on. Uh, but we want to get our Twitter our following up first before we do that. So, tell them where they can follow us there. Jan.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, it is spinit underscore pod. Uh, spinach, no space between spin and it. S-P-I-N-I-T underscore P-O-D. Uh, that's where you can find us and we're going to be posting episodes there of course we'll probably jump on and do some discussions if you want to like chat with us that's a great place to do it just like respond to one of our tweets we'll talk on there um, if you want to follow my personal account it is aka underscore yanny it's Y-A-N-N-I-E. Um, I have gotten the urge to start tweeting again uh, and like being Excellent. online so I'll go back yeah, I did not realize how bad um, the algorithm was gonna banish me to the shadow realm if I didn't tweet for like two years. Um, so <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to get this get that engagement back up a little bit. But yeah, you can expect to see me talking more on there about music and anything else I'm interested in, which is a lot of stuff. So uh, where can we find you, Zach?
0: I'm on Twitter as ZBarnettNBA. And you're going to see a variety of basketball, Magic the Gathering and music on there. Uh, So follow me for all that. And we will be having a WordPress website finished up here next couple of weeks where we'll do written album reviews, one or two paragraph things, uh, maybe some giveaways on there. also have links to our sponsors, which will be announced in the an upcoming episode. So, as always, it's been a pleasure recording with you. Cannot wait to talk about Kansas next week. And thank you to our listeners. Uh, we would still probably do this without you, but it does help <laughs> to know that we have an audience who finds us mildly entertaining. So, uh, that's going to wrap this up. That was Kind of Blue by Miles Davis.